Um, so my name is Brian Rourke. I am a San Diegan. I grew up in San Diego First Church and uh, went to church camp with Mission Valley Church in Nazarene. And uh, your, your youth group was kind of our, our closest ties on the district, I guess. We always piled around together. And, um, and I was here a few years ago, I think. So it's really good to be with you guys again. Uh, Barry wanted me to share just a little bit of my testimony in case uh, you didn't know who I was. How many know who I am? That's right, nobody. <laughs> so I'll do that. Um, when I grew up in San Diego First Church, my best friend, his name is Joel McGinty, and he and I studied film. He studied at Point Loma Nazarene. I studied at Fuller, Fullerton uh, University. And after we graduated, we really wanted to use our skills and do something great. Our, our goal was to be famous directors and cinematographers in, in, uh, in Hollywood or something. And uh, we had done these mission teams, uh, work and witness trips to Honduras uh, through college and a little bit after. And on one of those trips, we went to a place called Puerto Cortez, which was on the north coast. And we worked uh, building a pastor's house. And uh, while we were there for the two weeks, he took us to one of his ministries that uh, members, members of his congregation were running. And it was called Coca Gracias. Well, their ministry didn't have a name, but it was in a neighborhood called Coca Gracias. And we went there and got to see what they were doing. It was a city dump. Uh, there was an access road, and everybody lived on this side, and on this side they dumped all the trash. And uh, this couple went, and they would feed the kids once a week and then give them a, a, a Bible school lesson. And we went there. We did some interviews. We spoke no Spanish. We just filmed everything that we could, um, thinking we were going to make a video for Work and Witness. And, uh, and then we went home. And after we graduated, we were trying to think of something to do, and this, this first project, when we just had our, our skills fresh, what are we going to do? And we thought about Coca Gracias, this city dump. And we said, that was an interesting place. Never seen anything like it. Let's, let's go back there and see, see what, what it's all about. And so Joel and I prayed, and we said, God, we want to go to Coca Gracias, and we want to do a film, and, uh, and we want to give it to you. So help us in this, because we don't speak Spanish, <laughs> and we don't know what we're doing. And... Uh, and we bought tickets, and we got some equipment from Point Loma Nazarene, and we went down for a few weeks and spent some time with this community, filmed uh, their lives. We did it again another year, and then lost all that footage and never could do anything with it. Um, well, we ended up cutting a, a short documentary called Coca Gracias, and uh, we thought, this is going to be great. We're going to use this documentary, and people are going to see it. They're going to see this need. We want to build them a technical school. People are just going to go, wow, I can't believe people live in a city dump, and they're just going to give thousands of dollars, and this school will be built. And then we'll be famous, and we'll go to Hollywood and uh, do another documentary somewhere in Africa. I don't know. But we just thought this is, this is a good deal. God could really use us. And uh, we did the documentary, and we showed it all around San Diego and lots of places, and uh, nobody donated any money. And we sat with hundreds of copies of the DVD that Joel had, had used his savings to produce. And, uh, and we couldn't figure it out. We said, what's, what's going on? And uh, God invited me down at that time to live in, in Honduras. And so I stayed for a year and uh, didn't really know what I was doing. Second year when I came back, I asked God, do you, really, do you want me to stay in Honduras? He said, yeah, stay. And I said, okay, I'll be there until you tell me to go home. And that was 12 years ago. So I'm still there. And the documentary, eventually, it didn't, it didn't raise any money. We, um, 
we got so desperate and we didn't know what to do that one night I just said, God, you got to give me an answer. And I grabbed this thing out from under my, my, uh, my bed, <laughs> dusted it off, and I said, i got to find an answer. It must be in here. And I started reading through Matthew, and I got to Matthew 18, 19. And it said, if two on earth uh, agree about anything in my name and ask for it, I'll give it to them. And, uh, and so I said, okay, Joel, this is the plan. We're going to ask God for $12,000 to build a, a building with three classrooms and start this project. And the clock was ticking because the superintendent, he was calling me every day and he said, you've got to get this building built because if you don't, the city's going to take the land away. And uh, so we had three months. And I said, okay, Joel, pray for $12,000 in three months and I'll do the same thing. And he, he said, you're crazy. I said, I know, I feel crazy. And I said, but it's just you and me. And the Bible says only, only two of us need, a, need to agree. So let's just try it. I got nothing else. And I said, if you got a better idea, let me know. He says, I really don't. So we did it. And God was faithful. In one day, he gave us the $12,000 or one week or something. But it was, it was just miraculous. And to the cent, nothing more, nothing less. And we were able to build those first buildings. And then we built some, some more buildings. And then, uh, and then this ministry started. I never thought that I was going to stay in Honduras and direct it. But as the thing, buildings were going up and it was way out in the jungle, the city moved everyone out of the city dump into the jungle, cleared and clearing. There was no public transportation, just a couple hundred houses and, and us. And nobody really wanted to take on. The, the local church kind of abandoned the project. They said, oh, it's too far. Um, I'm going to have to sacrifice. I'm going to have to do this and that. And I was the only one that felt like my neck was on the line. They said, well, I just asked people to help build this. We've got to do something. So I'd have to walk 40 minutes out into the jungle to, to go to work and see what we were going to do for this, uh, for this ministry, this technical school ministry. And um, eventually we started because I asked God, I said, if you want me to direct this thing, you've got to give me teachers. And he sent me teachers. And we started with three teachers and 35 students. And uh, we worked for about two months. And then it all fell apart. <laughs> Our students left and nobody wanted to go out to the jungle <laughs> anymore for classes. And, uh, and our teachers, they were too tired to show up, and, and we ran out of money, whatever little money we had. And so we quit, and we had to close the doors because there wasn't anything even to pay the electric bill. And, uh, and people said, what are you doing, Brian? What are you doing with those classrooms out in the jungle? I said, I, I really don't know. And I had the strength at that time to just say, you know what? I'm waiting for God to tell me. And, uh, and until I know for sure, I'm not going to do anything. And that took nine months. And after nine months, God told me, he said, you know, Brian, I got lots of technical, technical schools. They're all around the country. And he said, what I really need is a ministry. And what he laid on my heart was a place that teaches technical trades. So we teach English, welding, mechanics, uh, sewing, and computers. But it's a place that's focused on him. And it's a place that's focused on loving on our students. And it's a place that if, if a student comes and it's a person who would never set foot in a church... If you, even if you invited them, they might come to a mechanic class and they, they can meet Jesus. And so that's what we do. And uh, we open the doors again. Now we finished last year with 130 students. And uh, we've been doing this for, this is, this is going to be our eighth year of ministry. And we've graduated probably 75 students at this point. And they're working all over our town and in different towns. I got one, one English graduate. He works for Disney Cruise Lines. And lives in the Bahama on Disney Island, I guess. I don't know. But, uh, 
he's, he's the poster child of the ministry. I said, if he can do it, any of you can do it. And uh, he gets to come back and share his testimony with him sometimes. So that's just a little bit about me and about the ministry, but I want you to see it. So there's a slideshow, and I'll go through it really quick, um, just so you can see. This is me in 2006 when I moved down um, with my long surfer hair pulled in a ponytail. This is a picture of the, um, of the construction that we did. When you first start the construction, you get together with the mayor and, and local leaders, and they take lots of pictures, and, and, uh, and then you pick up the first block and you go home. And, uh, but here are the photos from this last year. So I said we had a mechanic class, very important, because we're a port town. We get all the junk cars from the United States and uh, fix them up and resell them. And mechanics are very popular. We probably have mechanics on every corner, just like Starbucks here. And, um, and then we have the sewing class. Sewing is very important because all, all children need uniforms for school. People like to sew their own uniforms because uh, clothes made by hand are still cheaper than the clothes in the store. English class is also important. As you can imagine, English and computers are, are the two skills that everybody's looking for in Honduras for any job. Um, there's just basic skills that they need to work in banks or stores or uh, uh, the tourist industry, uh, hotels, and then, of course, cruises. And, um, and then the welding class, which is one of my favorite classes because my first Bible study, when we opened the ministry, I thought, I knew, when, when God said it has to be a ministry, I knew that Bible study had to be incorporated. I knew every class was going to have a Bible study. Everybody was going to have a Bible, and we were going to share the word with them. And I thought, I've got to get a pastor there's got to be someone else to do this because it can't be me. And I called this pastor and this pastor and this pastor. And I invited him. I, I shared the vision. I said, so come on down. There's a great opportunity to do what you do. And then nobody showed up. And so the day of class came and God said, it's you, Brian. And he said, but I'm with you. And, oh, man, you've got to be with me because I have no clue what I'm stepping into. And I was going like this. But I got to the door and I thought, I've got to have it together. I've got to look like I really know what I'm doing when I go in there. And it was a class with... 17 street kids. We didn't have uniforms at that time, and they just, I mean, they looked like they could beat me up if they didn't like what I had to say. And, uh, but I walked in and I said, all right, circle up, we're doing Bible study. And what? What's that? We're, no, we didn't come here for this. And I said, yeah, yeah, this is what we do here. And I said, so sit down. <laughs> Gave them all Bibles. And we did the Bible study that day. And uh, one of my favorite stories is that they used to, we had a window. And so any pretty girl or Rather, any girl that walked in front of the window, they would whistle at her and catcall, and they're like, "Woo, baby, you know, something. And, and I'm just like, oh, man, it says ministry right next to that window. <laughs> and my wife goes, you got to talk to them. You, they, can't, they can't be doing that. you got to say something. And I thought, yeah, I know, but I'm, I really don't want to say anything to them. And I thought, what do I do, God? And he said, give them a Bible study. And I remembered a verse my mom made me memorize when I was uh, fighting with my brother, and it said, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is useful for building others up according to their needs, Ephesians 4.29. And so that was the only thing I had. And I said, okay, God. And I went in there to this Bible study with these 17 guys, pulled them out of the windows. <laughs> so I sit down, and we read it together. And I said, so what do you guys think about that? What do, what do you think unwholesome talk is? And they gave me their definition. And I said, what do you think it means to use your words for building others up? And they told me what they thought it meant. And it was like the Holy Spirit just filled that place. It just came on all of us. And I didn't have to give my opinion or tell them what I thought was correct or what they should do. 
God did it. And after that point, things were so different. And I won't say they never did it again, because I'm, I'm sure they did, but it, it, it drastically fell off. It was just like the Holy Spirit got a hold of them and, and, and showed them something new. And, uh, and I remember that same class before, when, one, before the semester ended, I, I was busy and I hadn't gotten to the Bible study with them yet. And I thought, well, I don't even know if they're that interested. I'll just let it slide today. And one of them comes out and he's like, Mr. Brian, aren't you going to do Bible study? He goes, we've got all the chairs out and all the Bibles. We're just waiting for you. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. And that's how we've done it ever since. And we've seen that over and over and over again. Lives, people who come in, they never expect. And that's what I want to talk to you guys about today is expectation. But they never expect God to break in and then he does. And he does something amazing in them. So that's our our welding class. We might have to fly through them. (laughs) This is a picture of our patio just to show you what it looks like when we're not in classes. We play basketball um, with no rules. And uh, we do... Worship on Wednesday evenings, and we've had a growing worship uh, service. Every year it grows, and we had uh, 30 people, 31 people come to the, to the Lord this year. And so 18 of them were from our worship service, and we went in and did a baptism in a river. We do a graduation party at the end of every semester, which is so important to us for community. Um, it's something we've never put in the budget, but we, we always use it as a faith thing that God's going to give us what we need for that party. 300 people go to a water park with us, and we share the gospel with them. When we have a team, the team gets to pray over them. There's a whole section cut out where we just go, we're not going to go on until God's done, and he gets to have his way and and pray for people, and we've got testimony after testimony of people who've been healed um, emotionally, physically, and spiritually uh, through these parties, and if you see, the picture that's there now is Pastor Juan Garza. He's our best friend in Honduras, uh, our in crime, <laughs> building the kingdom of God. He has a ministry up in the mountains. We sponsor him through Coca Gracias as well. Worked very closely with him. This is one of the villages where he's planted a church. It's called Las Flores. Uh, in 2015, some of you might have been a part of, of installing electricity in the neighborhood. Big project, tons of miracles, but we installed electricity in the, in the neighborhood with the city um, miraculously for the first time. Never had electricity before. And when the lights came on, everybody was out on the street watching, looking at them just like it was like a movie or something. And nobody went home. All night long, we just sat looking at these light bulbs. They thought it was incredible. Um, these are some pictures of the teams. So we have teams that have come down uh, every year. Uh, my mom comes every, every year with some people from San Diego, and they've been able to participate with us. We've done housing projects. We've built about 11 homes now in Honduras. Uh, for families that need homes. And then this last year, we got an opportunity. you got to stop there. Go back one. We got an opportunity to build a new classroom because we've always taught five classes with four classrooms. And this year, God, God gave us a green light to go up. And so we're going up, and we started an expansion project. We want to continue expanding so that we could have a, a space for uh, a, kind of a sanctuary multipurpose room where we'll do our services and teach music and uh, also do our orientations and Thanksgiving and all the other things that we do as groups. Um, Now you can go to the other one. We made the whole thing out of metal, so our own welding students built the classroom. It It was their project this year, and we're really excited about it. So 
the young lady who's on there right now, her name is Edith. She is uh, our graduate from English class this last year, and I just wanted to read an excerpt from her, from her testimony. She says, Bible study of everyday classes has been significant for me too. I feel every time God talking to me more and more. When I entered, I was passing for an existential crisis like I named it. It was a difficult time for me because I felt lost. I had many doubts about God's existence. I was wondering uh, to me, where is God? How do you know if he's even real? There are a lot of theories, and why should I believe in an intelligent creator's theory? These doubts were diminishing because every Bible study I heard about God's love and everything uh, he is making for me. As time passed, I was learning a lot about God, and I started to see him how he really is. My friend and my biggest adventure. And then she has, there's pages (laughs) of testimonies of what God had done with her in the ministry after that point. Um, you can go to one more. This is the one before. Is there one from Cesar? There he is. Cesar graduated this year in July, too. He said, uh, this happened to me in a Bible study, and, and I didn't tell Brian about it, so he wrote it in his testimony letter. And he says, Brian was preaching, and I felt something beautiful inside my heart. At the same time, I was very nervous. I thought I felt this way because I'd been far from God, and at that moment decided to reconcile with him. But because I was so nervous and shy, I didn't say anything to Brian, but he noticed me, and he asked me if he could pray for me. I said, eh, maybe later. And after Bible study, I went to the cafeteria. When I came out, I ran into Brian again. I told him he could pray for me, and I decided to invite Jesus into my heart at that moment. And the truth is, at that moment, I felt so happy. I thank Brian for speaking to me about God, and I thank my school, Ministerio La Voz. So, just a few testimonies. But um, the word I had for you guys today, because I really wanted to encourage you, it was expectation or expectancy. Um, What do we expect from God? And I spent all night thinking about it, and then all these examples were coming to me, but the example I want to share actually happened at 3.50 this morning. My my son, he woke up, (laughs) and he was crying. And it just... what was happening, because I obviously got up and I went into the room and I grabbed him and then he came and slept with me uh, for a little while. And I, was, and I was thinking about children and their expectations. Children have huge expectations. He really, sorry I'm drinking so much water, but he really expects so much from me as his father. He, you know, when, when we get babies, it's like that first six months or first year or something. I mean, we're just cuddling with them. We're holding them. We change their diapers. We give them food. We do absolutely everything for them. And so their expectations are astronomical. They're up here. They just expect that this glorious way of living is going to last forever. And then they get to about two years old and we go, oh, no, this is enough. We've got to cut this off right now. And then we start, we start um, I don't know, demolishing their expectations, right? We, we deconstruct them. We go, no, they've got to be independent by the, by the time they're 18. So we spend the next 16 years trying to get them to that point where there's no expectations on you anymore. And they can, you know, hopefully leave the house, get a job, hopefully they're not with you when they're 35, and, and they can live their life. That's what we do. That's what the world tells us to do. The world says we need to break expectations, have no expectations. You know, I remember, uh, I remember when we went to marriage counseling, right before we got married and the, 
the guy, I don't know if he was joking or not, but he said, you know, when you get married, he goes, in the first year, don't do anything you don't want to do for forever. He said, if, if you're not going to wake up every day and cook breakfast, don't do it that first year. Because it'll set an expectation. He said, do what you know you will do for the, net, for the rest of your life, basically. Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny that that's... How many agree that we live like that, kind of? That is not the way that God lives. That is not what he wants for us. He does not work like the world works. He's completely different. God looks at us, and he's actually trying to build expectation into us. He wants us to go back to being children. We've been so duped by the enemy and so duped by this world to think that we have to be independent. To even think that independence is good. And God's saying, that's not it at all. It, it, it's to the point that it fosters this mistrust in us. You know, if we really were honest, we almost mistrust God to, to, to come through if we expect something. Now that expectation's too big. I've never seen him do it yet. You know, and we, and we lower our expectations. We come to church with such a low expectation sometimes. We're coming into his house, and we sometimes don't even really expect to feel him or see him. We just want to get through it. And I don't know, you know, when we come up, we get to go to different people's houses and, and see friends and everything. And when I go to somebody's house, uh, they usually, I usually have no expectations and they exceed them because they take care of my needs in the time that I'm in their house. That's how God wants us to feel when we come to his house. He's going to take care of our needs. He's going to give you everything you need. Supernaturally. Because he's not natural. He's supernatural. And he's been trying to get us to have these expectations where that, I mean, we're the body. We're the bride. We are his sons. We should have the highest expectations of our father. The world can't expect anything from him because they don't know him, but we know him. And so our expectations have to be high so that he can work and move through us. Can you imagine having a, a child who, who doesn't expect you to feed him or doesn't expect you to clothe him or anything? I mean, what would you do when they're two years old or one year old? It'd be, it'd be weird. You'd feel like you, you're a terrible parent. What can you do, you know? And I feel like sometimes God just feels like he's, he's a parent. He's like, what can I do? I want to do it for you. Just let me do it. But we build expectations into doctors and the economy and our jobs and, and, our, and our pension plans and all sorts of things get our expectations. And all those things, by the way, can fall apart now or tomorrow. And God, who is faithful, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he's saying, expect me. I'll take care of you. It's going to get harder. And God's just going to get bigger if we expect Him to. He wants us to expect Him. He wants your expectations to be so high and then He wants to go above those. You know, I said when we have the babies, we start with them, we cuddle them, and we show them what it's like and then we go, just kidding, it's not like that. But God, when He started with us, He showed us what it was like, and he says, and that's how it's going to be. If you want to know what your life in Christ should be like, we just have to look at Jesus. 
says he came down from heaven to be with us. John 1.14. And then when he ascended to heaven, he sent his Holy Spirit to be with us. John 16. Right? He is with us. Matthew 28, 29 says he's with us till forever, till the end and beyond. And that's the truth of it. He's saying, what I started with you, that's how it's going to go for forever. And so I went and I was looking and I, and I guess I only have two minutes left. Sorry. So, amen. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I went back and I looked. Yeah, there, you guys aren't, weren't expecting to get out at 10, right? <laughs> We can keep going. Raise your hand if you're willing to stay for another 10 minutes. Okay, good. So I went back and I was looking through Matthew. I I wanted to see what was Jesus like? What was his ministry like? And I'm telling you, uh, I wrote them down. Go back. It's like Matthew. You can go with Matthew 6. uh, Not 6. Matthew 8, Matthew 9, Matthew 14, Matthew 16. You just go through his chapters. And there's always these little verses in there. These tiny verses that you almost miss. But it says, Jesus went into this village... All were healed. Jesus went to this place and they brought their sick. All the sick healed. Jesus went to this place. All received him. That was his ministry. That was the norm. The norm was, was that if Jesus, if the Spirit of God enters the place, things happen. There's healing. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. You will be healed from it. Why? Because the Creator came into the space. That's what everyone expected. But then there's one time when you go to Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus goes home. And it's one, of the two, it's, it's one of the two times that you see that Jesus was amazed. Jesus was amazed one time with the centurion because he said, wow, this is the greatest faith I've seen. He doesn't even have to get close to me or touch me or anything. He just says, say the word. He believes in the power of my word that created the universe. Man, that guy's awesome. But the other time is Matthew 13 when he goes home and and it says their expectations of him were so low that even though he wanted to do something, he couldn't. And he said, wow, I'm pretty amazed. Nothing nothing happened. Nothing happened in this place because you guys don't expect it. You guys look at me like I'm a carpenter. You're not expecting great things. And, And he's saying, I'm God. You should expect amazing things. There was the other time when the disciples, he sent the disciples out several times. And he said, I'm giving you the authority. You are going to stomp on on devils. You're going to cast out demons. You're going to heal the sick. You're going to raise the dead. He said, those should be your expectations. Go out and do it. He gave them the expectations before he sent them out. And they went and did it all. And it says that they were amazed. And then they were like, yahoo! And then you get to Matthew, or sorry, Mark 9. And he's being transfigured on the mountain with, with uh, Peter and John and, and uh, Moses and Elijah and everything. But the other disciples are down on the mountain and they're in this battle with this boy who has a demon. And they're trying to cast him out and they're saying, in, in, in Jesus' name, you've got to go. And he's not going. And so Jesus comes down and he rescues them. And I see the expectation there because they worked at it. I don't know how long transfiguration takes, but I imagine it was a long time. Peter wanted to build houses to stay up there. So I can only imagine that the disciples were given it their all. They didn't just give a five-minute thing. They're there for hours because their expectation is up here. How many are disciples of Jesus? Our expectation should be for hours. I don't know why it didn't happen this time. Let's pray again. It's got to happen. Let's go. And then they asked Jesus. They said, hey, why didn't anything happen? 
He said, well, it's prayer and fasting that you need for these demons to come out. But he didn't say you couldn't do it. He didn't say it wasn't an expectation. He, I think he was proud of them for expecting it. Go for it. Jesus showed us everything that we should expect if we are Christians. You go, oh, but he's Jesus. Oh, he, he was God, yeah. And Paul says the same spirit that, rose, that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, Romans 8, 11, is the spirit that lives in you. Yeah. Ephesians 1, 13, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit the day that you believed. If you believed, you have everything that Jesus had. So your expectations should be as big as Jesus. The first time, uh, first time we, Pastor Juan said, let's, let's go pray for the girl. I think she has a demon. I was like, let's go. <laughs> I was nervous too, but I was really excited. I thought, this is something new. And my expectation was high. And we went and I remember the girl didn't even want to look at us. We walked in there and she goes, no. And she turned to the wall. She didn't even want to, she, she couldn't see us. And she was so mistrusting, the, the demon in her was so mistrusting of what we were going to do. Because he knew, I got to leave. She's like, man, Pastor Juan and Brian, Oscar, I'm, I'm toast. <laughs> he didn't say it. He, he tried to, you know, dupe us. But he left. And she was set free. Second time. Second time I remember we went to pray for a young man. Now it's just me and Pastor Juan. And we're praying for him. And I thought, I'm going to look him right in the eye and just say, demon, you need to leave right now. So I grabbed the kid and I said, in the name of Jesus, demon, go. And, and it was a little bit later. I didn't, I didn't see anything dramatic or anything. But when he was finally liberated and we're chatting and we're singing hymns together and everything, he goes, hey, you know when you looked at me? He goes, I wanted to scream bloody murder and run out of the house. And we just started laughing. He was so afraid. And that's what happened to that demon. We should expect great things. People should come to church, to mission church, I believe, because they've heard a story about what Jesus can do and the power that is in this place. Paul said the kingdom is not fancy words. It is a kingdom of power. And so we need to believe in that power first. Why? Because we need to show that power to those that are outside. And this should be the place that people go, man, well, lots of churches around, but have you heard of Mission Church? Oh my gosh, in Mission Church, let me tell you, I was there last Sunday and I saw something that blew my mind. God showed up. And you know, when God shows up in Mission Church, things happen. That's my prayer for Ministeria La Voz. I want it to be a place where things happen. I wanted to be a place where people were like, yeah, I was in mechanics class, and, and, my, and my schoolmate, his leg was healed. I was in English class, and my headache went away. I was in sewing class, and God gave me an answer for my problem with my family. Baibe, the, the graduate, she said she was at our, at our end of the semester party. She had lived 17 and a half years hating her father because he had abandoned her. She couldn't talk about it. And she said that at the party, she was taking pictures with my camera. We're all praying. And I went over to her and I said, hey, can I pray for you? And we started talking and praying and talking and praying. And we got to her father. And she was inside. She said, oh, I just wanted to let it go, but I couldn't. It had been such a part of me. I said, it's not a part of you. And it's got to go in the name of Jesus. And something just washed through her body and it took all of that away. And she put in her testimony, I don't hate my father anymore. 
all of it's gone. That's what God does. That's what God wants to do. And our expectation shouldn't be, oh, I hope he does it one time. Our expectation should be every time. When I was praying for the ministry for six and a half years, (laughs) I'd always pray, God, I really hope, I hope one gets saved. I hope someone gets saved. You know, that would make it all worth it. We've heard that, right? If just one gets saved, then it's all worth it. It's worth the thousands of dollars and, you know, 12 years of my life and everything like that. I obviously want more than one, right? But I placed my expectations so low because I didn't, I didn't want to inconvenience God, right? If just one God, just use me for one and I'll be okay, you know? That's my expectation, right? That's not my expectation. That's not what it should be. And God checked me on it. He said, why? Just one? He's like, that's the God you want to share with your ministry? Is the God of one? No. And he said, I'm God. You could expect all of them. He said, you pray and you ask me, Brian, to send you the students. If I send them to you, so why not all of them? All of them can be saved. That radically changed my life. That radically changed the ministry. It changed the Bible studies. It changed the way that I saw the students, the way that I went into their classes, the way we treat them. Because I'm like, oh man, this guy's going to get saved. I don't know when, but it's going to happen. That's the expectation. There's, no, there's nothing less. I have no doubt. It may not happen in the ministry, but I have no doubt. If you walk through our doors, you're going to get saved. Because God told me that's the expectation I need to have. And so that's what I pray now. And now, and now I really hope to see it all in one semester. I want to see, boom, Holy Spirit come down and they're all saved. We're just on our faces. <laughs> we have a massive, massive baptism service. That'd be amazing. That'd be amazing. I really hope that I'm inspiring you. Because I feel like God wants to inspire great things in Mission Church. Because He wants the expectations so much higher. I don't know if you have anything. If you're feeling it, because I've got to give time to the Holy Spirit. So if you're feeling it in your heart, and you're saying, man, I have just lowballed this thing. I haven't asked God to take care of this for me. I've, I've been too shy, or I've, I've, I've not expected Him. If you have something that you feel like God's saying, expect me on this. I want to do something for you. I think you should stand up. I think you should come here, and, and, and Pastor Tony, I'm sure, would love to pray with you. Yes. Pastor Barry, every, anyone. We can all pray for you. We're all Christians, yeah. right? And if you're not a Christian, and you're listening, and you just feel it, you know, that's the biggest miracle. Christ starts our relationship with a miracle. He will take your old nature, whatever you think you are that's just killing you because you can't live with yourself, He will change you in an instant. Amen. He will transform you into... A divine nature. Your sinful nature will no longer be you. And so if you need that, come up, because that, that's, that's the greatest one of all. And your expectation should be, God's going to save me, because He is. He's saving you. So I just want to invite you up. I'll pray, and if you want to stand and you want to come, let's, uh, let's give some time to God. I don't think service starts for another 20 minutes, right? Yeah. So we're good. We've got 20 minutes to hang out with Jesus. Or more. But God, I just thank you. Oh man, I bless this place, God. Thank you. Thank you for Mission Church. 
Thank you, God, because, you know, I was praying for Mission Church, and I felt God say, this is a faith church. And then he said, I have my faith in them. God trusts this church. He trusts all of us. And that's an amazing thing. God's expectation of us is, is so great because he puts the spirit in us. God, we just bless this place. We bless the people who are coming and praying, God. Thank you for their lives. Thank you for this time. Lord, I'm so thrilled that I get to go back home tomorrow. I'm so thrilled because I don't even want to have expectations. I just want to think something amazing is going to happen. Every day. God, I pray that you go before us. Your body. Your bride. Lord, you have promised us. You say, if you only knew me, I want you to depend on me because I have everything you need. God, so we just bless that right now for each person here. We love you and thank you. Amen. I'm wondering if our expectations have been too low. I think we've been challenged. Amen. And uh, what we're expecting when we come to church at 9 a.m. in the morning, I know it's it's kind of early, but uh, are we expecting too little? What a great reminder. That's the first thing. The second thing is, as I'm hearing uh, this young man's testimony, Brian's testimony, look what happens when someone's obedient to God. Amen. And uh, God blesses our obedience, and uh, Brian and his family's been obedient. I want to just take this a little bit further, and I, I want us to pray a, a prayer of blessing on Brian and his wife. Let's do that. I'm going to have his wife, his lovely wife, come over here by Brian, and I'm going to have some of our folks come and gather. Nobody leave yet. We need to take do one more thing, but I'm going to have his wife come on over here beside Brian. And... Uh, and I, I want us, uh, those that are willing, to just come and lay a hand on them. And let's just pray a blessing upon this ministry uh, and that God would just help them as they do ministry. In fact, let's stand together, prepare our hearts for prayer this morning. Uh, but let's, let's not leave yet. But let's just pray and ask God to bless Brian and what's his wife's name? Rena. Let's pray for Brian and Rena. Ask God just to anoint uh, this this ministry, the Coco Gracias in Honduras, which means the city dump. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you, God, for your gift today. And the gift that you've given us, Lord, is really your message through Brian Marina. And I pray that you would just anoint them right now. And I pray, God, that you would just lift them as they, they are serving, as they are obedient, Father, to the call that you put upon their life. Lord, I just thank you for, Lord, this obedience that they are showing us. The passion that is, Lord, that obviously runs deep. And I pray, Lord, that you would anoint them and fill them, Lord, with your spirit so that as they go, that, yes, these people that meet in these classes will meet you as their Savior. I, I pray, Lord, that you'd be with their children, that you'd protect their children and their children remain strong and healthy. And that, Father in heaven, that you just bless the Coco Gracias ministry. Lord, I know that your plans are greater than our plans. I know that, Father, that you're bigger than anything that this couple will ever face. And so, Father, I pray that you will remind them today that they are your ambassadors to this country. And so, Father, just anoint Brian and his wife and the kids 
Anoint this ministry. Bless them, Father, as they serve. Lift them, Father. May they be encouraged. May after they spend their time here, Lord, sharing the story, that, Lord, that they would go back more encouraged and more filled with your power and that fruit would follow, Father. Thank you, Father, for this ministry right now. Just bless this family, I pray, as they reach out, as they spread their love across their country and their area of ministry, Father. So just bless them, we pray. We thank you for that. Thank you, God. For, Lord, raising our expectations. Lord, may we not expect too little from you. Lord, we just come humbly. We come broken before you. And there's some here today that are just saying, Lord, I've been expecting too little. And I need to just be obedient to you, Father. I need to trust you, Jesus. And there's some right now that are making that decision this morning at this altar or maybe in the congregation as we're standing here today. I pray that you would just, Lord, just lift up that one today that, Lord, feels that they've maybe been expecting too little. May we not come back, Lord, next Sunday expecting too little. Lord Jesus, I pray that you just bless Mission Church as we continue, Lord, on the call that you've given us. So, Father, anoint your people. Anoint this congregation, I pray. In Jesus Christ's glorious name, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Amen. I want to invite the ushers to come forward this, this morning. Uh, we want to support this ministry. And just lift up Brian. Thank you, Brian, by the way. You've been praying. Thank you for your ministry. Thank you for your message. And, and uh, wow. Yeah. Lord, I pray that you just bless us these dollars. I pray that they will multiply. Lord, I pray they will surprise Brian as, as, as you just spread these dollars out for the kingdom. Bless the ministry, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.